postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about the importance of optimal oral function for babies. Does your baby sleep with an open mouth? Do they make noise when breathing? Are they copious droolers? Do they have lip blisters? Do they hate tummy time or have a lot of reflux? These are all signs that oral function may need to be evaluated, but why does optimal oral function matter? Michelle Emanuel has answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and your feedback, requests, ratings, reviews, your general support. All right, so my talk today is with Michelle Emanuel, and I am so super excited to talk to her about all things related to oral function, not only for better breastfeeding, but also because it's a key element in supporting your baby's development and even in lessening fussiness and improving sleep and lessening reflux even. So there's a lot there for us to get through. So let's get to it. Welcome, Michelle. It is great to have you back. I can't believe it's taken so much to get you back. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you've been doing quite a bit of things. I've been excited watching your like career blossom even more since we last spoke. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Okay, well, I'm an occupational therapist, and uh, for a long time I worked at a children's hospital and got a lot of experience working with a wide variety of diagnoses, dysfunction, uh, neurodevelopment, and the occupational therapy world. And then three or four years ago, I went into full-time private practice, and this is when, like you're speaking of the changes. And that has been a great move because it's allowed me to focus on exactly what it is that I want to focus on, which is oral health and function for babies. And as you know, the whole body implications of that with tummy time. So I've been traveling around and teaching professionals how to equip and empower families, babies and parents with the tummy time method, which is a great whole body way of working with all kinds of things, especially oral function and things like torticollis, which is the head and neck turning preference, um, any cranial molding. And I've also been doing some really great treatments here in Cincinnati. I actually work at a pediatric dentist office one day a week with a, a multidisciplinary team. And we do um, mostly infant phrenectomies and some pediatric phrenectomies there. And I'm on the rehabilitation team. We do pre-phrenectomy therapy and post-phrenectomy therapy. And that's really been an exciting advancement. I love working in a team. And also just in my office, one at a time, working with babies and parents, how to optimize their health and well-being. And sometimes it comes down to helping babies with reflux or fussiness or having a better latch being able to engage better because there's a lot of babies that are either crying a lot or they're a little bit tuned out sometimes. So balancing that, I love doing that. And so, and speak, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and just speaking at a, a couple of really great conferences, um, it's really opened up networking and there's a lot of people that are reaching out and looking to learn more about, because my emphasis and specialty is the pre-crawling baby. And there's a lot of people now who want to focus on this topic. 
So mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Yes. No, I am super excited and I'm super excited to talk to you today because this is important work. Um, Mm -hmm. And also the ramifications, because you think like originally people get curious about this because of come at it from like a tongue tie or a lip tie, like this is affecting breastfeeding, but then don't realize that it's such a huge spectrum of your baby's health that has to do with nervous system and, you know, speech further along and how they even crawl and then stand up and (laughs) it all comes from that that tether is kind of signaling an issue and it's obviously not just the tether but the importance of oral function optimal oral function so which is our topic today um (laughs) (laughs) tell us why does it matter what do parents need to know about oral function that's such a great question and i don't want to overwhelm people because i have a lot of ideas so let's just start with the very basics which is that babies, when they're sleeping, should have their tongue fully elevated to their palate and their lips sealed. And that is the optimal oral sleeping rest posture for the tongue to be up and the lips to be sealed. And that means that the jaw is gently closed. And that itself can have some cascading effects into oral health when we're awake because the tongue's in the right place the muscle tone is activated, the jaw is in the right position, and the lips are sealed together, which helps create pressures in the body that promote optimal breathing and actually even promote the baby to be able to optimally generate suction, which is the, the way we efficiently can nurse or even take a bottle. So it's more about having that pressure that those during restful phase having that mouth be in the optimal positioning because it's creating connections and sending signals of like of activity even though it's asleep that will then help with breathing and with breastfeeding absolutely it's the neural feedback loops and they reinforce each other and it's a back and forth all night long or all um, whatever the sleeping period is, even a nap or, you know, babies shouldn't sleep all night long. Let me just start with that. But the babies should have frequent waking and the younger they are, the maybe more frequently they're waking. But yes, as they're sleeping, these neural feedback loops, they feed off of each other and they get reinforcement. And if that's not happening, it really detracts from optimal oral health because the reinforcement is not there. And so, and just to make sure I'm understanding right, so the neurofeedback loops, what they're reinforcing is, is what? The good muscle tone with the lips together, the jaw position and the tongue up. So all like the nerves are reassured by the contact and the position and the touch and the pressure, as you mentioned, against each of the structures. And that's also what helps to spread the palate. We hear a lot about high bubble palates that we need the tongue up and the lips sealed to be able to create the kind of pressures in the mouth to be able to expand. And this is something that people can be on the lookout from like hours after birth, like from the get-go, right? Yes, and it's very simple to address and it may not change right away. The baby may not have their mouth closed 100%, but every little bit counts just to simply take your finger and gently close the mouth so that the lips are sealed and hold it there until the baby seems like they get it. 
to put them in a good position where it looks like it, it maintains that. The other thing I think we can focus on is babies using their facial expressions really big. So even smiling and making faces and raising eyebrows, using the muscles of facial expression, which are also our lips and our cheeks and our jaw and even to an extent our tongue, helps optimize oral function. That can be really hard when you, if your baby has reflux or baby cries a lot or you know, there's some other things going on. It's really difficult and challenging. There's a lot of babies that have um, squeaky breathing, you know, the like <laughs> different noises that they make from time to time, whether it's during when they're feeding or when they're sleeping or when they're crying even. Making a noise on the inhale is a sign of airway, upper airway weakness. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about those signs of things that can be easy to identify by parents of what can be signs of oral dysfunction, because then it's it's that connection with your baby of seeing. And and I will link in the show notes to the episode we did before, but also to an episode with Allison Hasselbaker on um, suck, swallow, breathe reflex, which I think informs a little bit more of what you're talking about or gives people a bit of an idea of how complex that is of just even coordinating sex, swallow, breathe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and why that's important, right? Um, but I want to... Well, that's, that's an instinctual maturational process too. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we want to optimize things so that that coordination of breathing with sucking and swallowing arise naturally from the instinctual, you know, these are many of them reflexes and coordinated patterns that happen in the very primitive parts of our brain. And that can be challenged if there's any kind of tongue position or tongue problem, because the tongue position is going to dictate how the airway feels, how big the airway is, how easy it is to breathe. And that's a big part of it because if it's not easy to breathe or it's a challenge to keep your tongue in the position where it is, or it's being pulled down in a different way, that's a signal to the baby's nervous system that something's wrong and that makes it hard to be calm and regulated when it signals coming up like that. But okay. So signs yeah, would yeah. be like <laughs> really big ones, head turning preference to one side. It doesn't clear up when you even work on it for, you know, say you focus on it all day long. You like, wow, I really noticed my baby's turning their head to the left and you work on it and it's still noticeable after the end of the day. And people that might would- notice that also with like breast preference when feeding. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Asymmetrical. Uh, latch or even being able to, um, you know, baby's fussier on one side. Maybe they will, you know, feed fine, but they're just more just, you know, not settled. So head turning preferences and liking one breast or one being held in one position more than another is a really big one. Some obvious ones are the, the open mouth posture, just seeing the baby's mouth open at rest. And drooling is another one, because if your lips are sealed when they're supposed to be, the baby's not going to drool. We do make a lot of saliva as a baby and even when we're teething. But if the mouth is closed when it's supposed to be at rest, then drooling will be very, very minimal to nothing at all. Other overt signs would be um, lip blisters, a tongue that's protruding out all the time. I call that the three lip look where the the tongue's kind of peeking out with the lips and it's not tucked up in the palate and it's also not 
even inside the lip. Sometimes it can be poking out. Um, other things actually that may not be totally understandable, the connection, but if the baby still has a little bit of a flat spot or the head is not quite um, looking as round as you think it should be, if there's some flattening or molding anywhere, that's another sign that the tongue isn't working because the tongue should be the main thing a baby can move well. So if they're moving their tongue well and they're using their tongue well and it has enough strength and range of motion and endurance, then there, there won't be many problems with the head and neck. Right. And it all connects with like, like that, that TMJ and the, the, you know, the cervical spine. I just learned about this for adults <laughs> recently in a right. talk that I was at last week. And I was like, ah, and I thought more of you because I was like, your <laughs> cervix, you know, no, not your cervix, your cervical spine. That's <laughs> a different place, spine. right? <laughs> further down your cervical spine and your tmj and your tongue and all that like it's it's connected so it affects each other in terms of function yeah all of the muscles and the connective tissue and the bones of the head neck and tongue and even the floor of the mouth they all share responsibility for holding our head up the tongue is really a lot of responsibility for our head control which is another sign actually of that parents could see of, you know, if something's maybe going on with the tongue is that the baby doesn't have adequate head control by that when we expect. And so we do when we do, babies. yeah, when we do expect it, because I know newborns don't really have much head control. Well, and that's an interesting thing to talk about. And let's do another one about maybe some a little bit common misunderstandings about babies, but actually newborn babies have a lot of reflexes mm -hmm. that they respond to when we change their position in space that actually have a lot to do with head writing and emerging head control. But babies have head control or optimally should by eight weeks. Okay. And that's a fast period of time. And so it's a, a steady gain though. So like a four week old, you would want to see about halfway there. And at six weeks, you'd want to see them three quarters of the way there. And then by eight weeks. And what head control means is that you can use your whole neck, the front, the back, the sides together to hold the head up. And it doesn't mean um, neck tension. It doesn't mean rocking the head back and settling the head back on the neck. It doesn't mean shoulders tightly elevated around the ears, which help hold the head up. It means holding the head up. And it's a little bit of a bobbly place. But how you can tell that if you lay your baby down for a diaper change and their head lags back, the chin goes way away from the chest and the baby doesn't appear to try to hold the neck and chin chin tuck a little bit, then that would be a good sign to have the baby evaluated a little bit further. And this, like by six or eight weeks for sure, if you notice the head lag, that would be another sign. Other signs are like the heart-shaped tongue, right? Um, creases on the face right around the mouth when they come off the breast or um, when they're taking when you take the bottle out if there's red creases on the around the mouth where the cheeks have it just looks like a lot of pressure that's another sign too if and here's another one the baby's crying and the tongue just lays there you watch the baby when they're crying and the tongue just kind of vibrates and just lays there the tongue when we're crying should sort of lift up and wave around a little bit, almost like a stingray. It kind of goes up and down. 
And a lot of babies that I see when they're crying, their tongue either doesn't do anything or it bowls up really strongly. It looks like the middle of it's pulled down and the edges are flanged up. That's another really big sign, actually. The bowling of the tongue. Yeah, and the tongue not moving at all, but just kind of sitting there looking like it needs to take off, but doesn't. Mm -hmm. shakes a little bit sometimes. And uh, I know you've mentioned before also face tension. I think that relates to what you're speaking now. Um, and even that dimples shouldn't be a thing. I was looking, I, I, I will encourage everyone to follow your Instagram. And I know you have a couple, so let's say which one you want them to follow. Um, because this idea that babies shouldn't drool, babies shouldn't uh, necessarily have reflex, babies shouldn't have dimples. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's some of those things that we think are really super cute about babies that are signs like dimples and they are adorable, but they're a sign of abnormal oral tension too, because part of our face shouldn't pucker in. There's something, you know, pulling that in. And then the other one is like the super double chin and yes, chubby babies are absolutely adorable, but when the baby has a very um, obvious double chin, a lot of times, and there's a lot of um, material or, tissue underneath the chin a lot of times that's because the tongue is actually lower in the jaw than it needs to be the tongue needs to be elevating up and kind of residing inside the jaw and then the rest of the tongue is up in the palate but if the tongue is not up in the palate and it's pulled down in the jaw a lot of times you'll see more of a double chin than than is really super cute and then the other thing that is cute about babies is when they cry and they squeak that <laughs> or laugh when they do that and that's a sign too that there's a little bit of airway um, and that's going to be dictated by the tongue too there's not actually literally anything wrong with the airway unless there is and that would be already identified but if it's just making the squeak sounds that's a sign of decreased strength mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's due to the tongue position let's take a quick break when we come back now that we've like told parents all the things that to look out for or most of the, a lot of things to look out for. Um, if they do detect these things, let's talk about what they can do about it. We'll be right back. And we are back. Okay. So Michelle, say the mouth is open. We, you know, use the, the thumb underneath the jaw to kind of close that up and lift the tongue and have them seal their lips, the babies. But if we're seeing other things like lots of drooling or um, even not opening wide when feeding, right? Like some constriction or, um, you know, all the things that we mentioned, those cute dimples. What can then parents do to help their babies have better oral function? Oh, great question. I didn't answer the question about which Instagram though. So it's tongue oh, yeah. babies. Tongue, tongue tie babies. Yeah. And then the other one's tummy time method, which I highly recommend everybody follow too. It's just really adorable pictures of babies having a great time in tummy time. And it's also got some informational things, but the tongue tie babies has a lot of information about optimal oral function. And obviously Instagram isn't the absolute best way to do education, but you can drop bite-sized nuggets at least to get ideas floating and thoughts stimulating and what i recommend for a lot of people is to find people in your area 
that are interested in working with and are working with babies and have conversations with them too because you never know what resources you have in your community as well so, so what what are some of those people well most a lot of times there's you know people will say tie savvy okay so if you're looking for some that what that means is that you have knowledge and education and you've taken a lot of time to learn about tethered oral tissues, which are tongue tie, lip tie, and buckle tie, B-U-C-C-A-L. That means a cheek tie. Just like a tongue, it, has, it is normal to have frena in our cheeks, but when they don't have elasticity or when there are several of them instead of one, that happens a lot, or if they're really shortened or if they attach low on the gum, this is going to inhibit jaw motion baby cannot get their jaw open wide and they're not gaping to let the nipple come in deep and get a deep latch, then it's going to be really hard to generate suction. So that's where something that's restricting the jaw could hinder oral function. And would you see that more on like from, so for parents who identify it, or is that even possible? Would like a baby that doesn't open wide to get enough you know, breast tissue in the mouth, is that an indication of maybe a buccal tie or? Well, or that may be one. There are many things that it could be possibly, but you would want to definitely make sure the baby physically can open the mouth. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody with buccal ties has all of the jaw inhibitions. So there's a lot of human variability. And that's what makes it a little bit not clear in the tongue tie world and the oral dysfunction world sometimes. It's just a lot of human variability. And the way a tongue tie would affect me is going to be different than it's going to affect someone else. And that's true for every baby. So that's why we really need to focus on having an individualized approach and things that are specific to each baby that is struggling and that needs some help. And I know that can be discouraging sometimes, but it's really important to see what the what the real problems are and not just throw in the kitchen sink at babies, you know, doing absolutely everything, hoping well, something lands. Yeah, and that can be overwhelming for the parents too. If you've got a, a two-week-old and you're going left and right to all these appointments, that's like, ah, it's too much, right? So yes. um who would be a good first line, first point person to help identify these things in terms of a professional? And then, be, and I think what I like about this approach is that, frankly, I think that every baby should be assessed no matter how they were born, because sometimes even the birth can have, can create some tension on things that, 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 can then affect optimal oral function. Um, mm -hmm. But so I think everybody should be assessed just in case, like let's make breastfeeding and all the other things better and movement better. Mm -hmm. um, but know that once you take your baby to somebody, like it is a collaborative event. It's not that they're just going to do something for your baby and be done and voila, solved. It's a constant movement that then you'll have some exercises or you'll have a connected maybe with a, another professional or like it, that's where when that multi-approach, multi-experience um, approach to 
addressing these this optimal feeding uh, optimal function comes into place and i really appreciate that that you are always saying hey it's not just releasing a tie and then things are done there's stuff you should do before and after yeah because if you have a tie the baby has a tie that means by definition that there's a restriction in movement and a restriction in movement is going to have effects in the mouth directly and then cascading effects all over the body why well because babies are cephalocaudal developers. What cephalo means is head and caudal means is tail. So we develop, human babies develop from their head to their tail. And so the most sophisticated movement, the most sophisticated activities are oriented around the mouth. And we know that baby's job and occupation is bonding and attaching and feeding. (laughs) Some people would say pooping too, but feeding. And so this is a big deal and it's going to have effects on the body. And if I don't find, if I'm assessing a baby and I don't find any effects in the body, then there is not a restriction. So I'm, I'm definitely, I know if this baby's restricted, I'm going to find effects in the body because they cascade out. And sometimes it can be all the way down to the toes. Because one of the, the signs I say you can look at is when the toes are really, really clenched or really, really spread or the toes are like kind of in a zigzag pattern, one toes up and one toes down, one toes up and one toes down. Because the whole body is gonna be affected, it's gonna cascade down from the mouth. So we're definitely gonna find things in the body. The first person, especially um, with a nursing baby, needs to be uh, a knowledgeable IBCLT, an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And those are usually first responders and they're people who are helping the breastfeeding relationship and there's a lot to that and then additionally would be a pediatric occupational therapist or a speech pathologist or even sometimes a physical therapist in certain areas there are physical therapists who are who really work with oral function and even when i worked in the nicu i worked with some pts who even worked with feeding so that that sometimes is an option as well most of the time an oral motor professional is going to be an ot or a speech though And these are people who have knowledge because it's also not just about the tie. It's about, because we're working with babies, it's about the developmental process that they're at and where they're going. And for those of us who work with babies a lot, we know that these issues, when we even work with them and resolve them to a certain point in infancy, still need to be addressed at certain periods along the way in the developmental continuum. And this is another reason why having a multidisciplinary approach is really important so that we don't have gaps and that we don't get too micro focused on just releasing the tie and and having things be better just today. This is ongoing. And with babies, especially in this pre-crawling period, the developmental expectations increase exponentially because we're going to go from a newborn needing all the help for their mobility and positioning to a six to nine month old who can crawl away and start getting into things. So it's a lot of developmental and biological impetus to get done. And the mouth is going to be driving a lot of that process. We all know babies put everything in their mouth at a certain age, like four or five months, everything goes in the mouth. And part of that's because that's, they're still learning about the world 
not just through their hands, but through their mouth. And then there's a period of time when it becomes no longer appropriate to put everything in your mouth. And we do more sophisticated things with our mouth. And sometimes that's a sign like when, you know, kids are still three and four years old, putting everything in their mouth, five years old, that's a sign you know, that we need to look at something. So that's another reason why it's good to have, you know, the multidisciplinary approach and or reach out to different professionals who may have something to offer as it relates to whole body, chiropractors, other body workers. Um, and like then cranial the sacral too. Yeah, cranial sacral therapy, myofascial release. There are those two names right there, cranial sacral therapy and myofascial release, are probably two of the most well known manual therapy, meaning using your hands to help someone, body work techniques. But there are many, and all of them are helpful. And they have a lot of similarities and probably more similarities than they do differences. So don't get too caught up on finding a specific therapy either, although those have been tried and true and helpful with babies and families. But there are other other modalities and tools as well that can be helpful. And the thought is that really any well-intentioned light touch can have amazing impact on the nervous system. And that helps oral function a lot too. Not just the structure of the body, but how the baby is feeling and how they get motivated and mobilize themselves for movement. Because a lot of things we're talking about, especially with babies, should be reflexive and, and sort of instinctual and innate. And that's the thing about tongue tie that just makes me so frustrated. It sits on all of those, well, not all of those, but it sits on the instincts and the innate and the that internal motivation it pulls that down a little bit so sometimes you'll see babies that have their reflexes are muted which they don't respond really strongly to their reflex stimulation and then some babies who respond overly like they startle at everything or they get really upset at everything um, and so that's just an interesting thing how it can affect everything in the body not just the structure but how the neural development plays out as well which is why i'm really big about tummy time because if you do really work intentionally with the baby and their body in different positions that has a great impact on the tongue and swallowing and airways and i really love the visual that you um that mention often i'd see it a lot in your instagram of how a baby is going from being curled up in the in the utero to unfurling in different ways until they got upright to walking yes and like all the steps that need to happen in that unfurling of the of the frontal body right yes yeah can and, you speak more yeah. about that yeah yeah, so in the womb, we're developing a lot of that curled up position can also be called physiological flexion. Flexion means to be bent up. And that helps us develop a lot of bend in our joints and the, the muscle tension. But also babies in the womb, they do straighten out and extend. That's what the mom feels with movement and kicking. But this just really brief periods of time of straightening and then they go back to this really curled position so that when the baby's born, their their shoulders and their elbows and their hips and their knees are bent and they stay bent. And then over about three or four weeks, gravity has an effect and you start to see the baby lengthen out and they're not as bent. 
And then as tummy time and they're lifting their head up, and this can be even when we're holding our babies, we notice they lift their head up and turn them. But even in tummy time, that's extension, that's straightening, that's making the body go backwards a little bit. And we have natural reflexes to do that. And it, it even straightens out and elongates the hip. And then we go from being all curled up to being straight and then even bent backwards a little bit into extension. And that's what lets us get upright and walk on two feet really easily. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to talk more about that and also talk about like some some uh, easy exercises and, and things people can do. Um, talk about, about more like lip seal and the tummy time and like therapeutic sucking and different stuff in, in, in your guppy positioning. But we have to take a break. So we'll be right back for that. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. 
client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we are back. Um, and talking about this unfurling and uncurling and extending, um, I love the the different steps or, or or moments that baby have when then they suddenly can, you know, you see them doing tummy time and then they're starting to do more like yoga poses like cobra or having that extension and then they do the you know the sort of the airplane like they lift both hands and and legs and they're all just on tummy curled up right curled like a little bow and then how that's gonna then help them create strength upper body strength to get up on those up to cr uh, uh, hands and knees position for then crawling and eventually get up um it's fascinating when you see it like that. Like, I, I thank you very much because you were the one that planted that visual in my head. <laughs> and it, 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 an image says a thousand words. Um, it does, doesn't it? It really, are. that's the thing. Our brain thinks in, in images too. And so pictures can be a great way to understand a concept, you know, and we need words too, but pictures can work you know, really well. Hey, and I wanted to mention that Superman that you mentioned is an actually is a really special reflex that babies have. And it comes on around three months where they lift up their arms, their legs, their head, everything from the surface. And it looks like they're flying. That is really hard to do for babies that have had oral dysfunction and or tethered oral tissues. So this can make some babies, moms will say, oh, he hates tummy time around this time because there's such a strong impulse and a desire to get into that extended position, into that Superman flying position, but they're inhibited. It feels really challenging. It feels too daunting. So they get upset. And that's why I love working with, um, you know, problem solving why babies are having a struggle in tummy time rather than just saying, Oh, he doesn't like it. We're not going to do it. It's not a problem because there's too many ramifications of, of not doing it, especially if we're talking about a baby that has oral dysfunction and or tethered oral tissues. So that's really important, but we can help a baby because that reflex development is what helps us develop our strength and our posture so that we can stand upright with good posture in gravity. So thank you for mentioning that. And that's a really important part of it, but it's also a neat thing to talk about because that's sometimes what makes tummy time challenging when these instinctual movements go to happen and the baby's like i can't you know but we can show them how they can <laughs> in many different ways so what are some good and and when we talked last time i remembered one of the like keys takeaway for me was that tummy time can be a few seconds like 15 seconds and then because it can be very stimulating and you know, roll out of that and then roll back in. And I find sometimes people go, oh, baby hates tummy time, but because they're trying to do it for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love the tummy time method because I made it and actually am training a lot of professionals so that people may be able to find someone in your area if you 
can't right now, you may be able to, because I'm traveling all over, you know, teaching, but I love problem solving, you know, why it may, and sometimes it is because it's just too long. It, I like to say, take your eye off the clock and put your eye on the baby and any amount of tummy time is good because we can always build the quantity if we get the quality and the baby feels like, Hey, this is good for me. And it has to have that little bit of the feeling. But here's the thing about development is it's kind of set up around um, a little bit of challenge and stress helps you a lot. You know, not being able to reach that toy is what motivates a baby to emerging with their crawling skills. They want to be able to pull themselves forward and reach the toy. Um, there's a motivation to it. There has to be something, you know, it's that next tangible thing. And so we want to realize that we want this easy balance of challenge in the baby's life and them to be able to problem solve and get in and out. So I say, yeah, roll the baby out as soon as they need to take a break, pick them up and calm them down. And you can roll them back in the tummy time if you want to do a little bit more time. But just these little bits of exposure, short, frequent sessions, are it's just more palatable. It's easier to do and you can develop a routine around it. Mm -hmm. And you can, with the developing of the routine, you can tie it to some other action that you do several times a day. So maybe like right after diaper change or, you know, something that you're already doing or before breastfeeding or after, you know, something that you're already doing eight to 10 times a day. Right. I always say do it every diaper change. And mm -hmm. so if the baby really is having a struggle with it for one reason or another. Just every time you lay him down for a diaper change, roll him over for a few seconds of tummy time roll them back out and pick them up. And that's going to be quite a few repetitions a day. And the baby starts to learn, Hey, this isn't so hard. I can do this. And little by little it builds the endurance and the strength and even just the, their own sense of, I can do this. I was working with a baby yesterday and the mom said, she looks like she's having fun. And that was her first experience of seeing the baby enjoying herself in tummy time and what that looks like for even a six-week-old baby. Oh, This is a baby, yeah, who just had had a tongue-tie release Monday, so the day before. And this is also a baby, too, that was well-prepared, and that's something I want to talk about, too, if we're going to get into what's tummy time good for. And a lot of times it's for preparing a baby to have a tongue-tie release. So let's talk and, about that. Yeah. Yeah. This, here's the thing, identification of tethered oral tissues is an important piece of information about oral health and function for babies. And it is true that if there is a structural limitation limiting the tongue, that that needs to be taken care of. But because of what we were talking about earlier, the reduced tongue function has had an effect on the body. And sometimes those effects are extreme enough to be interfering with moving forward with the tongue tie release, like an extreme head turning preference to one side or a baby whose tongue is not moving at all. Um, you know, if the baby's tongue is not moving at all, cutting the connective tissue is not going to communicate with the nervous system or the muscles how to move differently definitely eliminates the barrier, but if the baby hasn't had been practicing a little bit of the movement, it's not necessarily going to happen. 
And because the procedure itself is a procedure and we need to hand it to the babies, they've had a procedure done and there's a recovery period that needs to happen. And when we go into recovery, that's often not the time when we're trying new oral motor patterns. It's all the time we kind of hunker down and go into kind of protection and healing mode, et cetera. There's exercises and activities that we do because for babies, we don't usually um, use any stitches or anything. So we go in and make the wound and the wound needs to stay open. So there's certain things that we do to help that the healing happen optimally. And that's dependent upon where you're at and what provider you're using and what tool they're using. So there's no standard for that either. But where I'm at, we do wound care exercises and the parents do this three to four times a day. We go in and lift the tongue up and make sure that the wound is not healing back down on itself. But being prepared for release means that you have had some practice with the wound care because you don't want that to be new after you've had a release in the mouth that you have made some progress at making the muscles be a little bit more balanced of the shoulders, the neck, and the jaw. And so that's a process of figuring out what's going on and what needs to happen. And it depends on how many body-wide effects there are from the tongue tie, at how long that takes, because it can take days to a week or maybe two. It depends on the baby and their age and the situation. That's why it's really complex about figuring it out. But there is, for each baby, an optimal timing of release that we want to try to figure out. It is not usually that we identify and we go straight to release. Want to equip and empower the families with what they're going to be doing afterwards and making sure they're showing confidence that they can provide that and also helping the babies actually function better a little bit before the release. And that's true. Like every baby that's tied, unless it's a baby that's crying and they like lift up and you see their entire tie, you know, you see all the restrictions that would be an easy one to do. But if the baby's not pulling against their tie, we want them to be able to move a little bit before we do it before we do the release. And uh, yeah, no, and I think that's a huge, it's really important for people to hear this because we kind of get into this mindset of, oh, the tie will do it. And then the tie didn't fix all the problems. And it's because there's, there's only so much the the release, there's only so much the release can do. Um, and also if it's a really tight tether and you release it and baby was used to moving in a certain way, now it's like, whoa, I got to learn how to move now with this new range of mo- range of possibilities. Um, and-, and that can be actually scary for a baby when you're using your tongue for stabilization and support. We mentioned the ba- for the baby, the tongue is everything. And all, most of the function is there and the things that they do. And so there, even just any change introduced can be difficult to process and especially for babies that are dysregulated and you know babies who are having a little bit more trouble receiving calming or staying calm or who have tense bodies you know armoring of their muscles and any squeaky noises all of those things and also we want to really look at movement not just the 
restriction of the tongue because every baby that I've worked with that has even a tongue tie can get a little bit better before release. Because like I said, when we're, we're doing the release, that's just cutting the connective tissue. And while that's a very important integrated surrounding all the tissues of our body, cutting connective tissue doesn't change movement. It allows it to happen. You still have to move differently and moving is part of our nervous system. And that's been held down. The movement has not been just restricted since birth. It's been restricted since gestation. Mm-hmm. For months, for months, right? Yeah. Months. Yeah, it's solidified in the brain. That is how the brain is developed around that. So we have to create new brain pathways, new ways of moving. Because say, you know, let's, the, the restriction is holding the baby's tongue in a certain way. So if we can't move our tongue in a certain way, our bodies will compensate for that. You'll move your shoulders more or you'll tilt your head back or you'll do that piston tongue thing. That's very painful on women's nipples. You'll do whatever you can to do those natural instinctive motions. And it's not usually optimal. Okay. And so what we want is to help them get more optimal movement patterns and let go of those old compensatory strategies that they were trying to use their shoulders or their clenched fists to get a tight enough latch to create a seal. Mm. He's not able to do it. And I've got to tell you a story because I really appreciate how in the same way, because babies have this instinct and they want their their instincts and they want to go towards that, like, right, their body has this impetus towards that optimal function um, if if they're allowed to, if, if, if everything is aligned so that they can. Um, I really appreciate how the response, the feedback is almost immediate. So the story I want to tell you is there is, I went to um, a postpartum for a client. So usually that's around seven to 10 days when I do, when I go for that uh, uh, with my doula clients. And they have been having breastfeeding issues and had been seeing IBCLC. And one of the things is the baby wasn't getting her gums past, uh, her tongue past her gums. Um, which is something that you need to kind of do in order to breastfeed properly and part of that tongue function. And um, I showed them how to do the guppy that you talk about, and I want you to describe it for the listeners in a bit. But um, I showed her, I was like, you know, one of the things you can do, and this is really just to help balance your baby and and help with that function and unfurling, you can just do this, you know, doesn't have to be long just a little bit of the guppy and um and she was there for a bit and I've seen babies like be like for a few seconds really fussy and then they calm down and relax that head or or the other way they're relaxed and then they suddenly like start engaging it and moving it side to side you see you see a change you see a difference right if you just hang there for a few seconds it's not long um and then she was starting to show lots of hunger cues so it's like okay Let's get, you know, you look hungry here. And I handed her over to mom and mom looks at her and goes like, look, she's got her tongue over her gums. That's right. And it was like immediate. Right. And so she was so they were using a nipple shield. And and I said, well, why don't you try feeding her right now? Just the first time without the nipple shield. I know you've been practicing with and without it since she just did this function. 
try it. And sure enough, the baby latched on. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, then afterwards she reverted and it's not like an immediate solve forever. But right. just the feedback of we did this, it helped her. She created more function on her tongue and then was able to latch. Like, <gasps> it's it uh -huh. can be very simple. It was so rewarding. Yeah, well, the guppy is simple, but it's also a very powerful tool um, to help promote tongue function, jaw function. And it's probably one of the best for torticollis as well and head molding and shaping. But basically what guppy is, is it's getting the chin away from the chest. And this is normal range of motion that all babies and people should have is to be able to tip the head back into extension to 90 degrees. And we also have other motions of the neck and head, but these are normal natural ranges of motion, but we usually do it in, you know, the, they're laying on the parents legs or on their hands where we let the head go back, chin away from the chest. And like you said, ba different babies are going to need it for different reasons. If they're a really, um, a really tense baby, then they may need to work into their relaxation a little bit because it's, it's hard sometimes to just let the head be there and be in a relaxed position with the chin away from the chest. And then for babies that need to actually move more, it stimulates them to move more. So this is nice because it's a, an exercise we can do for anybody, um, whether you're on one end or the other end. And the tongue coming out is a big thing because there is no way that they're going to have, be able to, you know, cup the tongue and hold on and generate suction without the tongue being over the alveolar border. And it is immediate. And the, here's the thing. It's immediate. And then when you repeat it, it's immediate. And then you repeat it again, it gets more immediate. And then you repeat it again and it becomes more of a habit. So that's how the brain and the nervous system make changes based on these exercises is that it then becomes more sophisticated and the nerve, that's when the motor pathways are laid down for the new optimal oral function. So repeating that simple exercise is really important. And then you'll see it build and then you don't even have to do it for the tongue coming over. Maybe the baby's doing it for some other reason. But that problem is solved and you're like working on the next thing with oral function. So, yes, absolutely. Babies will make immediate response, especially if we're doing something that's good for them, specific for them. They're going to respond really well. And even if they don't give the whole full response that you want, you see, oh, that's definitely a response. Mm hmm they didn't turn their head all the way to the left, but they went about 10 degrees. And that's like, yes, you know, or the tongue came out a little. Maybe it didn't come out all the way, or maybe it only came out once, you know, when you're looking for that. But that's really important to realize that a lot of these babies that have, you know, the term posterior tongue tie is that their tongues are actually partially in the back of their throat and taking up space in their throat airway. And so bringing them forward can be really helpful. Now, conversely, if a baby has is able to stick their tongue out or their tongue is out over the, the lip border, that also doesn't mean they're not tied. Back in the day, if the baby could stick their tongue out, do extension, the baby wasn't tied. But with these, the posterior aspect being restricted, 
that can be a possibility. So this is what's confusing a few of the pediatricians and even parents that sometimes the baby can still stick their tongue out, but they stick their tongue out to make their airway bigger because it would, it would be back in the throat. So that if the tongue's not coming out over the alveolar border. That means it's scrunched in the back. And the normal state is to have the tongue over the gum border and the tongue lengthened out under the, the nipple and areola. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of the idea that, you know, you'll that, how, why it's so important to have a knowledgeable provider assess your child. And sometimes just because they're an IBCLC or just because they, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're that they are knowledgeable. And I, I, I don't want to make generalizations, but sometimes I see IBCLCs in the hospital who are so busy and don't have, they have a short amount of time to spend with each, um, each dyad that they'll go in and see that, you know, the latch looks good. Everything seems good, but that the birthing person is saying, I'm feeling pain. Yeah. And they're like, mm, but this looks good. It's it, it looks okay. And then they walk away and it's like, and, and, and the, you know, the mom, the birthing person is saying, no, but there's something that feels off Yeah, and nobody's listening to that. And I'm like, if it feels off, there's gotta be something more there or a way we can make it less, more comfortable for you and baby and probably because it's not about just that feeding that moment that day it's about your breastfeeding relationship over the long haul and your baby's development over the long haul and also saving your nipples like <laughs> right well that's the thing and i i echo that so much which is why i'm um always supporting private practice ibclcs you know women who are supporting in the communities in private practice they have a little bit more, or I should say a lot more autonomy, because sometimes the lactation experts in the hospital are limited, even what they can say or they're allowed to say. Um, and so even if they could or want to, sometimes they can't, and they have to give as general advice as possible. Other places, it's not so bad, but I agree. And especially when we look at nipple health and also, those early days in breastfeeding really drive the bus with supply. And so you don't want to, you know, negatively interfere with a woman's milk supply, milk coming in. And that's not my area of expertise. I work with IBCLCs that do that. But I know that that's an issue sometimes and has come up with that when the mom has said, I told them in the hospital that this didn't really feel right. And here's what I have to say. It's like, I don't know exactly, you know, obviously I got out of the hospital system because I felt limited a little bit by that ultimately, but get home as fast as you can and get to a knowledgeable IBCLC so that they can help you over the long haul. This is someone who can help you not just for the days and hours you're in the hospital, but could potentially support you for weeks and months to come in your breastfeeding relationship. And even, you know, um, looking at it from the perspective of, um, you know, moms that have medical interventions and it can be even more challenging because now mom's, you know, healing from something and baby's got stuff that needs to be attended to. It just gets really complex and there's a lot of confusion out there. 
So, yeah. Yeah, and 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 trust your gut. And the sooner you can see this knowledgeable person, because things things can snowball, and quote unquote bad habits or compensating habits can form, that then yeah. it will take more time and more work. So, sooner the better. Um, it is, but that's a weird balance because I was saying, okay, let's do optimal timing of release. What is as soon as possible an optimal timing of release, right? If you identify the tissues and you say. So that's a really good question. And you want that time to be as short as possible. I do want to be clear about that. With prephrenectomy therapy and optimal timing of release, it's still as soon as possible. And that still could be within days to weeks. But we want to put maybe a few plans in place. Like sometimes I'll see someone twice before their release. And um, that may be enough. Some babies, they may need more. Yeah. No, and I was saying like soon as possible to get it assessed to then put oh. things in place and not so, as soon as possible to get it released because it might not be a release. It might be, it's, right. you know, and there might not be a, a tethered tie. Um, right. So, looking yeah, at just, yeah, looking at just like if it's not feeling well, have somebody like even just connecting with that independent IBCLC or knowledgeable IBCLC or whoever it is, like don't yeah. leave that for days <laughs> so i think it's yeah. my point um right. and michelle we have i could I, we could talk for hours and hours but we have only a few more minutes left could you tell me about therapeutic sucking like in a little bit of short time and then anything else you wanted to get to before we close up sure well therapeutic sucking or suck training is what we can do with babies to help promote optimal oral function I am a big proponent of doing this in tummy time. I feel like babies are less gaggy, they're more accepting, and their re their nervous system is just more regulated. Actually, too, we can use gravity and the position to help support that. So I'll usually roll them into tummy time, and I like to do my pinky pad side up. And I start shallow in the mouth, and as the baby begins a non-nutritive sucking pattern, which is usually a fast sucking pattern, about two per second. I'll slowly allow my finger to go back a little bit further. Because what we're trying to do is encourage the baby to cup the tongue around your finger. And that cupping, will it's like a central groove of the tongue, the sides of the tongue, and this is supposed to be all the way almost to the back, lap up around your finger. And this is what allows the baby to develop the strength and the stability to support holding the, the breast or the nipple. That strength and support is what allows the middle to back part of the tongue to wave in that peristaltic-like motion. That's what generates negative pressure or suction, those are the same thing, in the mouth. That's what makes efficient flow of milk, transfer of milk, from the breast or the or the nipple and I like to do it you know before you know before a feeding even a little bit for just even a few minutes get them on their tummy let them do some sucking and then you should see a better latch after that because the first stage of it is just the baby relaxing with the sucking and that can be hard depending upon how sensitive the intraoral cavity is so if babies are more gaggy than a normal, say, experience, 
then it's going to be a little bit more challenging. You're going to work with the sensation first, maybe really stay really shallow in the mouth, but the more practice they have with non-nutritive sucking, that can help them process the sensory a little bit better and get stronger. Um, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's important for to know that it's not just relating to somebody who has a, a tethered oral uh, tie, but also just because we talked at the beginning about like lip blisters being something that is identifying. Um, and you get babies that in utero got into patterns of comfort sucking that it, some babies find their mouth and uh, their, so their hands, sorry, and that's great. But some of them like suck on their tongue or suck on their lips. And yes. they come out freshly, you know, freshly squeezed and you see these lip blisters and you're like, you were sucking on your lips when you were in there. Now we've got a habit that we have to just pay attention to. <laughs> and a lot of times if babies are overusing their lips like that, it means they're not using their tongue enough. So if we can get them using their tongue a little bit more, they can let go with the lips because the lips, the top lip is helping to form the seal. And the bottom lip is is part of the secondary part of the seal, but it should be laying there passively. That's why the bottom lip should be really flanged, and the top lip really just needs to be everted or gently, you know, opened up. But the bottom lip should be really relaxed, and the tongue and the top lip are actually what form the seal. But if the tongue can't, it forces the bottom lip to have to really clench on. These are the babies that have a really tight chin, or that really deep crease in the chin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they're, you know, the lips should be nicely, easily relaxed for the most part and not rubbing and getting friction blisters. And that's a huge sign that the tongue is not working itself. And so therapeutic sucking or suck training is great for all of those babies. We need to get the tongue moving more with better range of motion and strength. And therapeutic sucking does that really well on your tummy pinky pad up to the roof of the mouth, starting shallow, getting a little bit deeper. The first stage is relaxation. And then from relaxation, then we can tap into when the baby should have more mature sucking patterns emerging. Because I like to do exercises with babies and certain things can really help. But what we really want to do is evoke the natural feeding instincts and reflexes and chutzpah of the individual baby. We mm -hmm. want to tap into that and get that going rather than exercise it out or doing exercises or activities. I mean, those are short-term things to evoke these natural processes that happens, you know, with development, neurodevelopment. Yeah, it's a I'm supportive process rather than a, yes. yeah, so good. Yeah. This has been such a fun talk. I mean, I always learn so much from you, and I'm sure the listeners probably have lots of questions. So we're going to direct them to your Instagram of Tongue Tie Babies and Tummy Time Method. But also, if they want to further connect with you and see what you're doing and what you're up to, how can they do that? Actually, Instagram is, is probably the, the, best, the best way Um you know, and I am, a, you know, very busy person, but I do find time to connect with people, but I really like connecting people to local, their local resources. And so I'll help do that. Or I can get someone get you as close to someone local as possible. And then that local person can find stuff because a lot of this needs to be done in person and individualized. And, you know, uh, I do think that there 
is a lot more room that we all have to learn about tongue tie and oral dysfunction. But what I do know from my experience is that staying in connection with people who um, work with this a lot can help and getting tuned in to your local resources, but definitely Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. I also have the Tummy Time Method website. Which I encourage people, yeah, to go and look at that because they can then inform themselves more on how to like do this method, Um, you know, jump into the program and then have something concrete and clear that they can, you know, do with their babies. And find a local professional. Mm -hmm. There's also a resource, www.com and kyloglossiabodyworkers.com. I'll spell that. A-N-K-Y-L-O-G-L-O-S-S-I-A-B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K-E-R-S.com. And what enchyloglossia is, is the Latin term, the Latin word for tongue tie. And I will write it out and link it in the show notes also. (laughs) So that... And that's a resource where you might be able to find a body worker. We don't have everybody listed, but we do have a lot of people listed. You might be able to find a local resource. Something maybe you and I can explore. You you mentioned earlier, and I would written it down on my note here, I wanted to touch base, was birth trauma. Mm. And I would love maybe even to come back to talk about this a little bit more in that uh, I'm, I'm not so much – talking about birth trauma anymore, but then questioning why the baby wasn't able to use their natural instincts, urges, and reflexes to exit safely and easily. Oh, and, that is such a good talk. And yeah. like fetal ejection reflex is such, is is not encouraged at all. And that, no, yes, absolutely. Well, that <laughs> and the fact that babies with compromised oral function for whatever reason, are the babies that have more of the issues coming out. The babies that got transverse or breech or were in the same position or were asynclitic. Babies who are unable to use movement and positioning, and sometimes it's movement throughout the time. Mom's like, yeah, he was always kicking over here. I could tell he was always over here. That they're these early signs of compromised fetal movement and these are signs that the baby are could have trouble getting out. And so then we have to do interventions at birth. But the real cause is that they didn't have the appropriate movement or reflexes or positioning. And a lot of this is going to stem again from the tongue to get out. Well, and are you talking that there's like a way to help that while they're still in utero? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think the answer, the easy answer is to say yes. Things like, uh, you know, optimal fetal positioning and spinning babies and mile circuit and uh, belly mapping and um, doing, you know, good movement and intentional um, movement. Actually, while you're pregnant, like there are people like Carol Gray who are focusing on uh, doing pregnancy yoga and how this can help fetal movements and lie and reduce problems with the birth process. Um, Let's have you back. (laughs) Yes. We'll start getting that on the schedule. Thank you so very much for all you do and for talking with me today. 
Okay. Thank you so much for what you do and for talking with me today. You're always so easy to talk to. And so many people love your podcast, including me, and get so much out of it. So thank you very much for being a resource um, for families and, and babies everywhere. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Here is what Michelle had for breakfast. Ha, I haven't. <laughs> I had towing, dental... <laughs> Rental cars for breakfast. I'm drinking a glass of water, though. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, mighty one. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.